From coast to coast, women grow up with their bodies being watched and, almost without fail, learning to watch their own bodies. This self-surveillance begins young and for many women feels impossible to stop. It permeates our relationships and decisions, negatively impacts our physical well-being, mental health, and overall quality of life. The Body Myth Podcast explores how we got here, why our size and shape have nothing to do with happiness, and what we can do to find body peace. I'm Ronit Plank, and I'm your host for the Body Myth Podcast. Let's get off of this weight and body image roller coaster together. Today, my guest is Stephanie Weaver. She's a writer, speaking coach, and recipe developer based in San Diego, California. She has a Master of Public Health and Nutrition Education from the University of Illinois. She's the host of the Blue and Yellow Kitchen and the Resilience series on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Her Migraine Relief Plan Cookbook will be out in July and is available for pre-order now. Welcome, Stephanie. Thanks, Ronit. It's great to be here. It's so good to have you here, and I'm really excited to dive in. You have a lot of expertise in the area of food and removing things from a diet that can be difficult and hard on our bodies, especially when we have autoimmune. But I know that you recently realized that you have a relationship with food that wasn't as straightforward as you thought it was. Um, Before we dive into that, I want to ask you how old you were when you remember first thinking about your size or even judging your body? I was eight, I think. Uh, I lived, I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland, Ohio, and my friends made fun of me. My last name's Weaver, so there was a um, frozen chicken brand oh, called I know. Weaver Chicken. Yes. And yes. so they made, f- my, my nickname in the summer was Weaver White Meat Chicken because I couldn't get a tan. You know, I tried for years to get a tan. I'm very fair, um, redhead. Mm. And I was always also super skinny. And so this was in the 60s. And so back then, being skinny was not really a good thing. It was like being a copper tone girl and a Beach Boys California girl. And, you know, the the Mm. models were, you know, Raquel Welch and Christy Brinkley and women who were curvy. Right. We didn't get into that aesthetic, I think, until more like the 90s, right? right? Like, yeah. So even though I was thin, I was called skinny, which was not desirable. And then I was super, super pale. (laughs) So those two things combined to um, really kind of mess up my body image. But the one thing I did want to say before we continue is that I'm a little uncomfortable talking about this only because as someone who's lived in a thin body, I have not experienced any kind of the discrimination that people in larger bodies have. Mm -hmm. So that's why I normally don't talk about this publicly because I know people are like, well, good for you. Like you're thin and your life couldn't have possibly been that hard. And I completely register that 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 makes sense. Well, I appreciate that. And I feel like it's good to circle back on this because I am fashioning the podcast to speak to many voices and to get the perspective of what our body, our collective body image issues and shame are in this country. And I think that what I am discovering through these interviews and all these beautiful connections I'm making is that it doesn't seem like anyone's really safe 
from body shame or body self-consciousness in this country. And I don't know what is a reasonable amount to have in a growing body, you know, for a growing girl and what is too much. But the people like you that I'm talking to have definitely spent time thinking about their bodies and worrying about their bodies or wondering if they are healthy enough or pass the societal test enough. And so I feel like you qualify Well, I do. I just wanted to make that (laughs) disclaimer simply because I know that uh, in the past it's been, uh, I've had to sort of choose who I talk to about this because people who are in larger bodies really don't want to hear about how hard it is to live in a in a thin body yeah. and I and I totally don't blame them you know because yeah. it's just a whole different experience and I just wanted to acknowledge that yeah yes I totally understand and I appreciate that and I'm sure listeners do too because it's just your self-awareness and you know your sensitivity I, you know is, I really appreciate that so here you are feeling like your body doesn't really fit in and doesn't match up which seems to be a very common experience for girls in in this country. So then how has your body image evolved over the years? How have you come to understand what shape and size you're, quote, supposed to be? Wow, that's such a great question. You know, I, so I always was thin or slim or whatever term you want to use, but I was never comfortable in my body. And I'd say that probably the most frustrating and painful time for me was in my 20s because I was super uncomfortable in my body and I didn't really know why and it wasn't until I was about 30 that I started getting back memories of uh, childhood sexual abuse which had been completely um, forgotten and you know Mm. in my psyche and so coming to terms with like I wore like really big loose fitting clothing. I didn't have an I literally didn't own a belt. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I just didn't acknowledge that I had a waist at all. Mm-hmm. And you know, I binge ate. I felt terrible about it and that was the time that I think I was most uncomfortable probably. And then once I spent several years working through that, then I sort of reclaimed my sexuality, tried to get comfortable with that. I remember walking into work one day and I'd been wearing these big, huge, loose things. And one day I just sort of like felt a little better. And so I found this kind of short, like short skirt and had a belt and I walked in and people were literally like looked me up and down and went oh my god like they had no idea that I was actually that slim (laughs) because of the way I dressed and so that that to me was kind of one of those markers and that was the day I realized like I don't own a belt like how am I gonna (laughs) and so it, it it sort of brought forward to me the clothing choices I'd been making I'd been making in order to hide my body which is I know also very common yeah, for sure. So then did you continue to reveal your body? Did you continue to move ahead that way? I did. I think I, I learned how to dress in a way that I felt was, you know, attractive and comfortable, um, with the one exception being bathing suits, mm-hmm. um, because I have all this baggage from not being, you know, not being able to tan and that that was such the such the ideal. And I, I mean, when I was 17, we went to Florida and I was, you know, on the beach, probably in a bikini, and maybe the last time I'd worn a bikini, actually, in my life. And some woman walked up to me and said, should you be out in the sun? <laughs> some stranger. And I was like, oh, my God, like, do I just look like a ghost or something? And so after that, I I just, you know, 
yeah, I mean, I went to I went to the Mexican Riviera for a, a retreat weekend and did not bring a bathing suit. That's how mm. much I hid my own body and felt uncomfortable around it. Wow. So, and and by that time, how old were you? Oh, I was in my either late, probably late forties. Wow. Yeah. So, so did that change at all for you? I mean, has anything shifted for you about your body? As I've been working through the knowledge that I've had disordered eating for 40 years and the way that my disorder manifested was in controlling food. So counting calories, measuring portions, watching my step count, all of that on some level I had been doing for 40 years. And so in 2020, I started recognizing that that was happening and that I needed to address it because I didn't I just turned was about to turn 60 or had turned 60 and I was Mm -hmm. like I I can't I literally cannot do this for two or three or four more decades however much more time I have and so I've been working through it especially on Instagram I've been sharing about Mm -hmm. this process and this I hate journey is such an overused term but it really does feel like like a journey (laughs) yeah I know I know about those buzzwords you feel like you don't want to use them yeah they they make sense I had kind of jokingly, so, so, so somebody that I follow, her handle is I am Stephanie Michelle. Yes, I've been p- following her too. And, and Michelle is, I think, with just one L. And so she's a she's actually a coach that works with people around this. And so she had posted this picture of herself saying, you know what, it's nice outside. My legs aren't shaved. I don't feel like I should be in a bathing suit, but, you know, screw it, I'm going to do that. And I responded and said, oh, great for you. You know, I've spent my whole life avoiding being seen in a bathing suit, and maybe I should just buy a bikini and get it over with. Mm -hmm. She was like, do it, do it, do it. So I thought, well, I'm not going to buy a bikini because, you know, trying on bathing suits is like the worst thing ever, (laughs) especially if we don't like the way that we look in anything, you know. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I put out the, the call to some friends, and I swear to God, this woman that I don't know was like, I have a bikini that you can have. And I thought, what are the chances of it fitting? And I went and picked mm-hmm. it up, and it was actually a color that I looked good in, and it fit me. And I was like, damn it. <laughs> so I just one day just in my back room just took a picture of myself in the bikini and posted it and then got like 800 I know, likes I saw and comments. And, and the thing was that even though I got so much praise, I did a real a little while after that because the only thing I could see when I saw that picture was that my stomach wasn't flat. Mm-hmm. And so even though I had kind of did this breakthrough and I'd done this, I you know exposed myself literally and um, got all this praise, all these people saying, this is so great, this is so wonderful, thank you so much for doing this, all I could see was still the flaws. And so I know I have a long way to go. Mm. And do you do you have a sense of what that voice is or what the what shape does pardon the pun but what shape do these these flaw voices take like do you feel like it's the male gaze do you if you had to reach back like where where does the idea come from or the feeling that you're not enough come from I would describe it as the female fashion and fitness gaze so not a male gaze Mm -hmm. because I think those magazines are really geared towards women and kind of shaming women to be part of diet culture 
And so, you know, the perfect example for me would be Self Magazine, which I used to get all the time. Mm. I had a whole folder full of exercises that I cut out from them that I literally just recycled a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was always like, oh, that's how I'm supposed to look. I am supposed to have flat abs. I'm supposed to have muscle definition or else I just shouldn't be seen out in public, basically. That's mm. what I feel like that voice mm-hmm. has always said. Right, like this harsh, harsh judgment that you're supposed to be this thing that you're not and everything that confirms that you're not this thing or look the way that you're supposed to validates that you're not good enough. Absolutely. And a lot of people, I mean, I'm not immune to, uh, you know, I don't do it anymore, but stepping on the scale and allowing the number to tell me what kind of day I'm going to have or how I feel about myself. But for me, it was, uh, you know, it was a realization like, oh, I'm super focused on my belly and how my belly looks. And one day I just realized that I was probably touching it or looking at it like 30 times in a day. Mm-hmm. And so that was something I took mm-hmm. to my therapist and I said, okay, so now that I'm aware that I'm doing this, how do I stop doing this? And she said, well, you know, first just be gentle with yourself because this is 60 years of conditioning and you're mm-hmm. not going to just fix it overnight. But, you know, so I went through phases where, you know, I, I try to not look in the mirror just because – I'm trying to not reinforce the critique, but mm-hmm. then also being able to use the mirror for what it's intended, which is like to check, you know, my makeup or, you know, if my outfit looks okay or whatever, and and then going from there. But, you know, there's just these things that I think, you know, for some people it might be their thighs, for other people it might be their weight, for other people it might be um, the cellulite, you know, we're yeah. all, we all have all these, you know, supposed sure. flaws and... And it's just how do we, how do how much time and energy and space do we give them in our lives? Yes. Do you do you have a sense of what thinking about your body size and shape has distracted you from? Like, what is it? What does it keep you from, or stop you from feeling or thinking about? Well, it certainly kept me from swimming. <laughs> Because <laughs> um, I used to love to swim. And, you know, it's pretty sad to say I went to, you know, the Mexican Riviera and never got in a pool. Like, yeah. that's kind of sad. Yeah, that's pretty, yeah, that's a very big yeah. obstacle. Part of it is I do get burned really easily. So it's, sure. it's a whole thing. Like, I have to put on SPF, you know, 100, and it takes a while to cover everything up. And then you have to sure. wait. And, you know, so it's, you know, I have to, I do have to be, you know, a, there's a bit of that in there. Well, you could get the head to toe you know, sunproof bathing suit. I could, yeah. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> no, no one would call you a, a weaver chicken then. I mean, let's let's go a little further and root around here. You know, on, on the days where you would spend thirty eight times looking in your stomach, thinking about it. You know, and believe me, I've been there. You know, in, in my own way, right? But do you have a sense of you know emotionally or psychologically what that distracted you from really addressing or thinking about? I think it distracted me from my my life's purpose. I don't mean to sound, you know, like I have this huge ego, but wow, I, Stephanie, you and your journeys and your life purpose. <laughs> no <I'm> kidding. <laughs> I, I believe we all do have a purpose on this planet, and mm-hmm. to try to make it a better place or better for other people in some way. And so, I think all the time that I spent, you know, essentially beating myself up—that's really what that's what the behavior is. It's just like, oh, you're terrible, you're terrible, you're terrible, your stomach isn't flat. That's just another form of inner critic. And, you know, that energy, I 
and I honestly, I don't know what I might have done with that time, mm -hmm. but certainly it, it spills over into other areas of your life. It's, of course, it spilled over into romantic relationships. It spilled over into confidence at, in job situations sometimes. And, you know, certainly in social situations where looking a certain way was important. And I, you know, rarely felt like I measured up or looked great unless I was, you know, in like, you know, business attire or something where I was really covered up and, and then felt, you know, reasonable about myself. Yeah. So these days, would you say you have some peace about your body? It's evolving. I, I don't, I wouldn't say I'm in recovery. I mean, I, I, I feel like I'm in recovery or trying to be in recovery, but I'm, I've got a really long way to go. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to be more gentle with myself. And one sort of turning point for me, and I, um, I went on a healing retreat that involved uh, psychedelics, which are illegal. So I just said that on, on, on air, which is fine um, because I'm not saying where the retreat was or who it was with or anything. But sort of one of the things that came out of that was this sense of how hard I've been on my body. And I, I also have chronic illness. And so my body has felt really disappointing to me for a very long time for all these different reasons. And so that was kind of a turning point, I think, because I was able to see how beautiful my body really is, like that it works every day and it functions and it digests food and it, you know, breathes in oxygen and breathes out, like all the basic yeah. stuff that we don't really ever register. And so I do try to, with my gratitude practice, just like every day say, I'm able to go for a walk. And, you know, having had a s severe back injury and chronic fatigue syndrome, that I don't take that for granted anymore. So that's that's where I feel like I'm most recovered is in that arena. But in terms of like my weight and my shape, I'm, I'm definitely not there yet. I know you're an amazing cook and you're a cookbook author and you've got this book coming out. Do you, do you restrict your food at all or do you feel like that's a healthy area for you? That is, that's what I started working on last year was literally having zero restrictions. And it's tricky because there are certain foods that if I eat them, I know they can trigger a migraine attack for me. Mm. And there are foods like gluten and sugar, which are inflammatory, and they're not helpful to a body that lives with fibromyalgia like mine does. But I recognize that the restriction was the problem, the control was the problem. And so I've, for about the last year, I've basically said, you know what, I'm going to eat whatever I want, whenever I want. And that was such a radical, radical, I mean, I wrote it on a post that it was on my computer for a year. And it was so hard to give myself that permission, because I was afraid I was going to go, you know, crazy and, you know, ev eat everything in sight and gain weight, which is the fat phobia, which is, you know, ingrained in all of us as well. Mm -hmm. And I just finally said, look, if I gain weight, I have to be okay with that. And I finally decided that maybe my goal weight was actually has always been 10 pounds heavier than I thought I should be. <laughs> and so maybe, maybe mm -hmm. I've really been at my goal weight, like most of my life. And I just was telling myself that I should be 10 or 15 pounds lighter, mm -hmm. because of all the screwed up messages that I got. Mm -hmm. Right. And so things have been a little bit different for you since you made that decision. Yes. And turned out once I stopped restricting, 
yes, there was phases where, you know, I had like Tillamook ice cream in the freezer for weeks, but I didn't eat the whole container. I would just have mm-hmm. a bowl. It was the you can't have this, the message, that particular message for me was the thing that made me want to eat more of it. And so when I allowed myself to just have all those things in the house, even, you know, food with gluten in it, which I do feel better if I don't eat it. There's nothing evil about gluten. It's, I think I have non-gluten, non-celiac gluten sensitivity. So I definitely feel better if I don't have it in my, in my regular eating plan. But I just stopped restricting at all anything everything like I I just Mm, completely stopped mm -hmm. restricting everything and and then it's feeling I'm feeling more balanced I still am having some issues but I just know that what I was doing before just didn't work so you know my my former response would be to say well I'm just not feeling well and look at my stomach and okay I guess I better do a whole 30 or I better go back on Mm -hmm. intermittent fasting or I better do South Beach again and I just I'm like nope Nope, didn't work. Didn't work. Remember, it didn't work. (laughs) (laughs) Do you do you know how many different diets or restrictive eating plans you've been on in your life? Like offhand? It's at least a dozen. So that started when I was 19. My my father used to travel for business and he wasn't really a reader. But I think in retrospect, what I realized he must have done was he must have grabbed a bestseller at the airport and maybe read a chapter and then started talking to his seatmate and then he'd bring the book home, never read the rest of it and put it on the shelf. And I read all of it, every single mm-hmm. thing. I, I'll, real weird, like if you look at 70s bestsellers, I probably read all of them. <laughs> and um, and so one of them was the Pritikin Plan for Diet and Lifestyle, which was developed by this Dr. Nathan Pritikin for male cardiac patients. So these are like men in their 60s and 70s and 80s who'd had massive heart attacks. Mm -hmm. It was a 600 calorie a day diet with 10% (sighs) fat. And for some reason, it super, super, super appealed to me. Hmm. And that was that was my rabbit hole. That's Mm -hmm. I went down that rabbit hole. And I really just never came out. So you know, vegetarianism, and then not that there's anything wrong with that. But that was Mm -hmm. another version of it. And then low fat, I actually worked on a study in public after public health school, that was a low fat study uh, around cholesterol, completely wrong. We now know like all the (laughs) stuff we taught those people was totally wrong. Mm -hmm. But at the time, it was, you know, what people thought in the nutrition field, and it just went on from there. So It's been, yeah, and not generally not to lose weight, but just under the guise of health. And that's why I think I didn't realize that I'd had an eating disorder for 40 years is because I I was always doing it under the guise of health. Yeah. And yeah, it's like picking at ourselves and picking at ourselves. And I do think, I do think it's made more complicated by the idea that, you know, I was thinking about this question as you were talking about hiking and just how your body can do things. But I'm aware of your autoimmune and I'm aware of your background with your body and the child sexual abuse. And I wonder how it is, you know, to love our bodies when they've been a source of pain for us. Yeah, it's really it's really difficult. I, I'd say that the, a turning point for me, if this, this may be helpful to other people who live with chronic pain or illness. In 2003, I had chronic, well, I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia, which may or may not have been a correct diagnosis at the time, but they kind of ran all these tests and said, well, we don't know what's wrong with you, so it must be this. Mm. And then a few months later, I was actually diagnosed with a broken back. So I've been living with uh, a cracked vertebrae for almost 20 years. And so it had just caused all this chronic pain. It was, you know, 
the doctors referred to it as sciatica, but in fact, I had a fracture. Mm. And so when I was waiting for that surgery to repair that, there were nights when I couldn't fall asleep because the pain was so great. And mm -hmm. I just remember this one night lying there and, you know, when it's, when you have pain like that, it takes over everything else. Mm -hmm. And there was this moment I said, I am not this pain. And mm -hmm. I was able to kind of separate, and it's a meditation technique that I later learned where you separate yourself from your physical body and you're able to observe your thoughts and, you know, whatever. And so I was able to kind of just separate myself from my body in that moment and register that the physical body I was in was still hurting and, and, and I knew why and I was going to have it repaired, mm -hmm. but that wasn't me. That wasn't all who I am. And I think that has been really helpful. And, and I do have a daily 10-minute meditation practice that is a part of my wellness, care, self-care. And it has really helped me because it's, it's tedious and tire, tiresome, you know, to have to see a doctor regularly and be on medication. Like, you know, I, I, I don't need to go down that road. But, yeah, so that's, that's tricky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is, it's, you know, we can't, we can't do anything really without our bodies, but they're always there. You know, they're reminding us of their presence, especially when they don't feel good. And it can be really tricky to feel integrated or peaceful about where we are, you know, how we feel, especially if there's pain, my goodness, it's such a challenge. And so what I'm hearing is that almost all aspects of your body journey have to be really mindful. Yes, I would say that's accurate. Yeah, a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Yeah, I think what has felt frustrating is that it's so much work to feel sort of crappy most of the time. <laughs> oh you know, I feel like I, I work this hard, I should actually feel well. And I honestly, I can't remember the last time I woke up and felt well like mm. it's probably decades ago. So mm. it's sort of whatever that new normal is. And mm -hmm. again, you know, it's, you know, people in the neighborhood, they always see me out walking. They're like, oh my gosh, you're so great at walking. It's like, well, if I don't walk, everything hurts. Mm -hmm. So it's a, mm -hmm. it's a motivator, you know, to have less pain. But yeah. it's not, it's not like I could, I can't work out because it's too much for my body and I, everything gets over, overreactive. But, you know, I've had people tell me, oh, oh, I have the perfect trainer for you. Like, yeah, no, I can't do a trainer. It doesn't matter who that is. No, I, I can walk. I can do seated yoga for 10 minutes. And that is what I can do. And, and I've now I'm like, I'm happy about that because that's a lot. There's a lot of people who would love to be able to do right. those things. And so I just try to just be like, okay, this is this is where my function is today. Mm -hmm. I'm going to celebrate it. I'm going to, you know, try to care for myself as well as I can in this moment and and move on and focus on the work that I'm meant to do in the world. Yeah. Would you say that you are easier on yourself now? I am. It's a long process, but I definitely am easier on myself. Um, I used to just say terrible things to myself constantly, and, and that's that doesn't really happen anymore. Mm, that's great. What would you tell the young you? What piece of advice across the decades, if you could, would you give the young you to help encourage her or feel better? Yeah, I love this question. 
I think what I would tell her is that you can hate what happened to your body, the, the abuse, without hating your body, and that it wasn't your body's fault, and that it was nothing that you did that caused it, and that your body is beautiful as it is right now, today, and there's nothing you need to do to make it acceptable. Oh, I love that. Oh my gosh, this is so beautiful, Stephanie. Thank you. You're I was welcome. not expecting that was just, wow. Well, Stephanie, where can people find you? I'm going to link in the show notes to all your stuff. But, you know, for anyone listening who wants to check out your work, where can they find you? So I'm at S. Weaver MPH, like miles per hour, but it stands for Masters of Public Health, on all the <laughs> social media platforms. So I'm pretty active on Instagram and, and Twitter. And, and I'm also on TikTok. <laughs> find me over there. And, um, and then StephanieWeaver.com, I, I did snap that url up right away so there's a whole bunch of stephanie weavers all over the country that are super mad at me i'm sure that they can't get that website so all my information my books all the stuff that i do is there and if people are interested in pre-ordering my book the migraine relief plan cookbook it's available for pre-order wherever you like to buy books the migraine relief plan which is the um, sort of lifestyle guide with 75 recipes is already has been out for a couple of years so that's available so if anybody's listening who has migraines or think they may have migraine headaches or has weather headaches or sinus headaches which are often migraines that aren't diagnosed you can check those books out now yeah, you really you have you're a trove of resources and your your how to's and ideas for cooking and batching and things like that are amazing. So I've learned a lot. I just have to do some of what you do and then I'll actually have more food in the house. But Stephanie, thank you so much for being my guest. I'm so glad we had this conversation and I really appreciate it. Thank you, Renee. It was great. Thank you for tuning in to the Body Myth. If you'd like updates, want to complete the Your Body in the World survey or have a body image anecdote you'd like me to read on air, please visit the link in the show notes or find the link in my Instagram profile at Ronit Plank. That's R-O-N-I-T-P-L-A-N-K. You can also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. And if you liked this episode, please subscribe and share it with your friends. And if you have two more seconds, you can rate and review it on Apple Podcasts so that others can more easily find The Body Myth. Thank you so much for being here.